Hi, this is What You Say in English, Season 3, Episode 1. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another season of What You Say in English. I am so happy to be back. To be honest, I missed it. And I hadn't started until now because I was waiting for a special guest who will be joining me here today. But before I get into that, I would like to talk to you about the summer and how it went. The two courses that I organized went really well. The students got the feedback they wanted and they got the exam preparation techniques that they also wanted. It was an amazing experience, which I hope I will repeat someday in the future. Another reason why I hadn't started with this third season is because I've been super busy. I also have a regular job. I work at a language school and we're starting a new school year. And as you probably know, there's a lot of work to be done. But that aside, I am so happy to start the new season. And today I have a very special guest. His name is Ethan Manser. He's an English teacher with many years of experience in exam preparation and for other purposes as well. He is also an ELT writer. He writes materials for exam preparation. He also has a book that he co-wrote with another colleague of mine, Ricardo Chiappini, and they're both teachers. And they have a book. I will leave all the details in the description of today's episode so you can find everything about Ethan Manser. He's also written the teacher's books for B2 and C1 in the newest edition of Ready 4. Ready 4 is a series of books published by Macmillan, and they cover preparation for B2 and C1 Advanced. The edition they have now is the fourth edition. So for a course book like this to get to a fourth edition, it has to be really good. I have to tell you that the book is really, really good. As I said in the conversation I had with Ethan, it was a little dense in the beginning, but once you get used to it, you will see that there are not many other course books out there which are so comprehensive when it comes to exam preparation. Ethan and I talked about a lot of things, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy the conversation that we had. Stay tuned. So today I have a very special guest. His name is Ethan Manser. We used to work together, the fun fact, at International House Madrid, and it was a great experience. I had to, I decided to go to another school, but I still remember quite fondly my time while I was working with Ethan. Ethan, thank you very much for joining me today. Well, thanks for inviting me. Good to see you. <laughs> Good to see you too. Yes. Now, <laughs> well, we, can we, you miss tell... you. we miss you, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Now, can you talk a little bit about yourself, what you do? Uh, what, Of course, you're an English teacher, but apart from being an English teacher, what else do you do? Yeah, I still sort of think of myself as being primarily a teacher. I still work in internationals where, where we used to work together. But in the last few years, I've basically started doing a lot of writing. and. I sort of write different things. I write sort of course book materials. So I write, you know, like reading and listening activities and, you know, that kind of thing for course books. Um, but, uh, yeah, I also create sort of teacher training materials sometimes. And, um, I write sort of articles about, about teaching and stuff. Um, 
And that's sort of taking up a lot of my time nowadays, um, doing sort of less teaching than I used to. Are you teaching less that now that you find yourself uh, devoting most of your time, well, not most of your time, but some of your time to writing materials? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm teaching much less than I, I mean, I was teaching full time when, when I was working with you and I'm only teaching part time now at this point because, yeah, I mean, just there's only so many hours in the day and teaching is a very time consuming activity. As it I, is. As you're perfectly it aware is. of <laughs> Tell me about it. Sometimes I spend, I try to be economical with the time, with the preparation time and I do recycle a lot of the material that I've done. Everything I prepare, I keep it so I can reuse it. And even so, sometimes I find myself devoting more time to preparing a class than the actual teaching of the class. Yes, yes, that's uh, <laughs> it's an easy, easy thing to do. I think I think it's, it's you know, because I think people like you and me, we, we sort of like teaching, you know, like mm. it's not just a job. So and uh, we want to do it in an interesting way and we want to do sort of doing it in the most effective way. And sometimes, yeah, especially when you're trying something new, I think. Um, it's easy to spend yeah, way too much time <laughs> preparing this. <laughs> so my intention today was to talk about the newest edition of Ready For by Macmillan. And this book has been very successful. I taught with the third edition and I never taught with the second edition, but I taught with the third edition and I loved it. I thought it was, in the beginning, I thought it was a little bit dense. And as a teacher, I found it a little um, not daunting, I was coming from having very little experience about the exam. So in my case, and this is my perception of the book, I thought my learning curve with the book was a little steep in the beginning. It, I found it a little hard. Of course, now I have a lot more experience with the exams. And I don't know if it's that that makes me find the new edition more approachable, or is it just because you are part of the mix now because you wrote the teacher's edition. So my question is, how different is, is this new fourth edition in comparison to the third edition? Um, so as I was sort of saying earlier when we were chatting, um, I, th I think it's, it's, it's different, but very familiar, you know, so it's anybody who sort of liked the third edition, I think is going to like this edition as well, because it's sort of the same formula. Um, you know, Roy kind of came up with this formula for exam preparation 20 years ago, and it's, it's been a very sort of effective formula, and uh, that's sort of carried on into this fourth edition. But at the same time, it's, it does, it looks very different. I think that uh, sort of the immediate kind of thing you notice is that the visual sort of aspect of the book has changed quite significantly. As you said, you sort of, um, there have been, this is the fourth edition now, and um, yeah, if you taught with the second edition, you, you wouldn't have noticed it's such a big sort of stylistic change between the second and the third edition. But with this one, it has sort of a new look, um, not just the pictures, but the actual sort of design of the book. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean, the, the grammatical syllabus is the same. Uh, most of the grammar is going to be the same, um, the vocabulary as well. Um, however, you'll find that uh, the reading and the listening texts are mostly new. Um, there's definitely some stuff from the third edition, but, but yeah, most of the readings and the listings are new. And that's sort of a typical thing that, that, um, happens in a new edition because they want to, they want to keep the topics fresh, sort of keep them, you know, relatively up to date. Um, and, uh, yeah, just make sure the book is, yeah, still is sort of a book of its time, if that makes sense. Actually, uh, so far I'm, I'm just covering unit two 
and I, I finished unit one. And in unit one, for example, the reading is totally different. The reading was about Alex Honnold, you know, this, the free soloist. Yes. And it's funny because I actually saw the documentary a couple of months back. I thought it was amazing. And I recommended it to the students back then. I mean, like in, during the last school year. And it's funny that, that you know, I, I opened the first unit and the reading, bam, is uh, free soloing. <laughs> I thought it was a very nice touch. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's, that's one of the nice things about course books nowadays as opposed to older course books. Sorry, there's like planes going over me. Um, yeah. Hopefully they'll fly really fast. Um, is that, uh, yeah, mo most of the time they're talking about real people real places um and because of the internet you can just google the topic you know like so if they have this free solace or parkour guy um you can easily just kind of google it and, and you can actually show your students a video of, of this guy doing his thing uh, so i was going to mention a couple of things that uh, are new um in this new edition is that um, they've added pronunciation sections as well to the book um which i think was uh was some sort of an omission actually from the other ones because pronunciation is an important part of speaking exam. And uh, there was definitely pronunciation in the teacher's book, but it wasn't sort of on the, on the page in the student's book. So well, I think yes. that's an, a nice improvement to this, this yeah. new uh, Yeah, point. because I, I always tell my listeners that in terms of pronunciation, they should only worry about three things, which is intonation, stress, whether it's word stress or sentence stress, and individual sounds. And I've checked the, the new pronunciation sections in, in the book and I find them really, really useful because they actually focus on those things. I mean, sometimes I don't have to find my own material when it comes to teaching pronunciation. So that's a great help. Yeah. And I think they're pretty teacher friendly too, because I think pronunciation sort of uh, sometimes can, can be kind of intimidating to teachers. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, no, I think they've done a good job of sort of, yeah, just creating sort of simple classroom activities that um, uh, that really any teacher could teach and don't, don't require any sort of special knowledge of pronunciation, you know. Now, you mentioned before that Roy and yourself um, have created this um, method, you know, like it you know, it worked for the third edition and it also works. I, we, we, I hope it works for the fourth edition. I think it will, but um, what sets uh, Ready4 apart from other course books, teaching students or helping teachers to prepare students for the, for whether the B2 first or the C1 advanced? Yeah, actually, I was going to ask you, because I know you've used a variety of sort of exam preparation books. So what stands out for you? I have my own little list here, but in your experience, what do you think? What do you think makes Ready4 different? Because I well, think it is different. I think in, in my case, what, what I like about Ready4 is that it's a complete book. I think it can be, it can feel a little bit overwhelming for teachers to, because it's very dense. Actually, one of the first comments that I got from a student this past two weeks, because we were giving out the books, one student said, wow, this is thick. <laughs> so the book was really thick in comparison to other books. And I think it's because of all the materials and everything inside that book. Honestly, if you prepare with Ready4, I don't think you will ever need any other preparation materials. So I think what, what sets it apart is the attention to detail to every section of the exam and how you can actually nail down like very specific areas when it comes to 
other textbooks. For example, uh, earlier before doing this recording, um, I was I was telling you about other course books, which I'm not going to mention, but <laughs> you know which ones. But um, I've I've taught with other books, which are really great. They have the the great parts, but they're always lacking something. And whether it's grammar points or writing points or you know other areas and they they focus they do a great job but sometimes they're lacking something so what i feel about ready for is that it's very well rounded as as a course book am i right yeah yeah no i think i, I like what you said about attention to detail and i, I think that um uh roy Norris would be very proud to hear that because that's kind of his brand you know like other course book writers, you know, they only, they spend like six months to a year writing a book. You know, Roy spends two years. He spends like twice as long as normal people <laughs> do uh, writing this kind of thing. And, and I think it really shows, you know, um, every stone is, there's like, you know, the start stones that are left unturned, uh, basically. And um, I think that, yeah, I think quality is another thing I sort of associate with Ready For. Um, uh, for example, like, when Roy writes these books, um, he doesn't just sort of write the exam tasks and just send them to the editor. He writes them and then pilots them with dozens of students to see how they work in practice, you know. And that's really important for exam tasks because when you're sitting and writing them at home, it's easy to think, oh, well, this is a really good distractor. It's going to work really well. But in, until a bunch of students have done it, you don't really know that, you know. Um, and then sort of that kind of piloting and uh, actually trialing the materials um, it really helps you uh, identify weaknesses and make sure that the, the exam is really at the level of difficulty that um, students need to be you know, exposed to. Now, that was actually one thing I was going to mention was that I think sort of the level of difficulty is really good. You were talking about it being like maybe a little bit overwhelming, actually. Um, but I think it's because uh, it's challenging. You know, there's like a good level of challenge and ready for. And um, yeah, at first it might seem sort of maybe intimidating for a student, but but that's the level of language that they really need to be working with if they and it's not want really to pass challenging. these exams. Because I think that's sort of where other exam books fall down sometimes is that um, it's just not difficult enough, basically. The tasks, the exam tasks aren't as hard as the real ones um, and the language that they're expected to practice, um, maybe it just isn't hard enough. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I and think it's, particularly the vocabulary sections in Ready For are, are, you know, they're like good, challenging language. Yes, and it's not only challenging for students, it's also a, a big challenging for teachers. So, you know, what to focus on, because um, as you said, I mean, many of the tasks are very cleverly designed in a way that uh, students can, can focus on certain aspects. And, you know, sometimes the less prepared teacher Let's say it like that. Um, sometimes they find themselves like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't know how to approach this. But luckily, the the book that you wrote, which is the teacher's book, it's quite comprehensive. Yeah, I was going to say, that's why, that's why they have a teacher's book. <laughs> you know, I mean, basically, I, I think exam preparation in particular for a new teacher is tough, you know, because it's, you're not, you don't have to, you, you have to know sort of more than just about the language that you're teaching, you sort of need to know about the exam too. Sort of a lot of information um, to sort of take in. And um, yeah, if, you've, if you don't know anything about the exam and you haven't done much teaching, then an exam preparation book, um, yeah, it could be kind of 
a step up from other courses that you might have taught. Did you see yourself looking at the third edition's teacher's book to find inspiration or you just went blank just so, uh, having communication with Roy? Yeah, so um yeah, you asked you had asked me this question which I think is an interesting one. So, um this was my first teacher's book. Uh, I never written one before. Um and uh in sort of in preparation for writing it, um I, I sort of bought every book on exam preparation I could find. You know, I read a lot of teachers' books. Um, there's some, there's a there's a nice series of teachers' books uh, for a course called Straightforward. Uh, have you ever taught yes. Straightforward? And yes. sort of within the industry, those teachers' books are very well regarded. They're written by Jeff Scrivener and sort of other people who are very good. Um, so I sort of read through those teachers' books and sort of looked at what they were doing and stuff. And um, and of course, I looked through the third edition um, teacher's book as well um, to see sort of what what I thought was done really well and where you know there might be something um, that could be done differently. But uh, when I was actually writing it, I was yeah, I was just looking at the students' book page and and writing my notes and writing my activities and stuff. And because um, I mean the the third edition of the particularly the B two um, book, I think it was really quite well written. I, I think it was a good teacher's book, the the, the one for B two. Um, but uh, I mean, the problem is that as, as we sort of discussed, a lot of the book has changed, you know, the reading and the listening. So, um, you know, there's some, there was some really nice um, advice about strategies and, and stuff like that. Um, and, I, and I definitely borrowed some of that advice for sure um, in my, my fourth edition. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it was mostly me just, yeah, writing it from scratch sort of based on, on my own teaching experience. I've done a lot of exam preparation. I know you had to. Um, I'm sure you could have written a very good teacher's book as well, Frank. Um, and uh, yeah, just thinking about sort of, yeah, sort of looking at the page and, and trying to sort of imagine myself teaching it and thinking about what what an experienced teacher might gain from um, my advice, but also thinking about, yeah, novice teachers, what what they might be, need some, a little bit of extra help with. Mm. Um, yeah, I was, I was actually going to ask you about that. Uh, if you basically had more in mind expert teachers or experienced teachers in exam preparation or novice teachers in terms of exam preparation? I mean, I think you have to kind of strike the right balance. Um, uh, you're definitely going to have teachers using the book who have never taught an exam preparation course before and don't know much about the exam. Uh, so you'll find that there's sort of a lot of kind of just kind of useful information about the exam, like how it's marked, um, you know, uh, common mistakes that, that students make, you know, um, stuff that, you know, a teacher could kind of go and look at the, the official handbook um, and find that information. But, you know, what I've kind of done is sort of taken the information from the handbook and kind of, yeah, just put it right where it needs to be in the book. Um, so instead of kind of yeah, having to look for it, you essentially have that, that sort of official exam information uh, sort of where you need it. But um, I have to say, I, I was thinking a lot about uh, sort of more experienced teachers actually with this teacher's book because um, one thing Macmillan did, which I which I which I think was a great idea, was um, they really encouraged me not just to write like a boring um, sort of step by step <laughs> uh, sort of teacher's book. I think we've all used that kind of teacher's book where it's yeah. basically just like put the students in pairs, check the answers. <laughs> It's not sort of like adding anything really to it. It's, it's, uh, you know, and I, I think that's why sometimes 
teachers just completely ignore the teacher's book and just think of it as a place to check answers. Um, but what they asked me to do is, uh, was sort of the opposite, um, so sort of get creative and think about um, sort of alternative ways of approaching the lesson, um, activities you could add to the lesson, sort of things that, so for example, like uh, when a course book writer like Roy writes a book like this, not everything fits on the page. So there's sort of extra stuff um, that didn't make it in. And I have access to that because Roy gave it to me in, in, in sort of this Excel spreadsheet that um, we have. And um, yeah, sort of, so there are sort of extra, yeah, basically extra practice type of activities, um, but also sort of communicative games. And um, yeah, I, I put I put a bunch of sort of extra pronunciation stuff in um, the teacher's book because uh, for me personally, pronunciation is something that should be in every lesson. Um, and as we mentioned, there's a, there's a there are these nice pronunciation sort of lessons um, within, the, within the book now, but, um, for example, when you're doing word formation, um, it really makes a lot of sense to look at word stress, for example. So exactly. like in the teacher's book, you'll find that when there's sort of notes about word formation, I include sort of notes about sort of, yeah, where words, which words might have a, sort of a tricky word stress or something yes. like that, you know, the, the kind of thing what, that what I think is, a, an experienced yeah. teacher would really appreciate, you know, the kind yeah. of thing that I would have done in my normal classes, sort of things I would have added myself. Um, and I just kind of, yeah, just wrote that as notes. Into the yes, exactly. And I mean, we've, we've, we've talked about the teachers, but what about the learners? Um, do you, as, as, as the textbook, the, the teacher's book writer, did you consider, for example, that the needs of learners have changed across, you know, all this time because, Nowadays, with, you know, globalization, I know we've been talking about globalization for many, many years, you know, internet, all, all that stuff. And I know that students nowadays have access to a wealth of information out there. And sometimes we can find students that are really, really independent learners. Do you, do you, did you consider, or do you think that learners' needs have changed all these years in terms of putting that into the teacher's book? Yes and no. I mean, you know, the, the exam itself hasn't changed since 2015. So I think sort of their needs in terms of being able to pass the exam are basically the same. Um, however, I, I mean, uh, you know, the, the, the new Ready for Our is sort of has new topics that has sort of up to date. And I, I think the teacher's book, I think you'll find is more sort of up to date in terms of kind of teaching methodology uh, in a sense, because for example, since the third edition was published, um, there's been a lot more importance placed on sort of, uh, sort of what they call like life skills or 21st century skills, um, like critical thinking and um, uh, yeah, things like uh, set goal setting and problem solving and stuff. And I think you'll find that there's quite a lot out in the teacher's book because this is something that I think a lot about more about in my classes nowadays. And I think a lot of that's actually applicable to um, exam preparation. So for example, like I got quite obsessed with critical thinking sort of in the process of writing this teacher's book. And you'll find that there's definitely some sort of exam focused critical thinking activities um, in the teacher's book. And um, there are certain sort of life skill type stuff I talk about. I sort of talk about, um, I, I sort of give some examples of activities where where teachers can help students set, set short-term and long-term goals for the course. Um, 
you know, I talk about stress management, obviously that's applicable to exam preparation. And, um, yeah, so I, I think that, um, I think that, that, you know, I mean, I, I think I'm not sure if it's not as if those things weren't important before, uh, but I think that sort of as a, as an industry, as a profession, we've kind of, uh, realized that they're sort of more important than we thought they were before. And, um, that's definitely reflected in the teacher's book. And I was going to mention one other thing was that, um, uh, I put a lot of differentiation activities in the teacher's book, uh, which is another thing that um, people talk a lot more now about. Sort of in the last 10 years, people have started talking a lot more about differentiation in class. And uh, I think exam preparation is you know, not an exception to that. Um, that uh, we just, especially at the beginning of the course, we need to uh, provide students with you know, uh, sufficient support. Because um, you were talking about some, some students might find it a bit overwhelming or something at the beginning. Um, and I think that that's sort of magnified in an exam preparation course because it's sort of the high stakes nature of this type of course. Like there's an expectation that you're going to be taking one of these exams at the end. And so um, yeah, I think that can that can sort of add to the feeling of, of challenge um, that a student might, might experience at the beginning of a course like this. And I think that uh, one of the changes that we've experienced lately, uh, starting with the common European framework for languages, the CEFR or the CEFR, as I've heard it being called, um, they introduced quite a few years back mediation in, in their descriptors. When, when you look at the descriptors of the different skills at different levels, um, they've introduced mediation. And I know that you've done a lot of research and you've written books on mediation. I follow your <laughs> your career. I talk about me a lot. <laughs> as you know, one of Maybe those movies much. like hey. <laughs> um, so I know you have a lot of things to say about mediation. Do you how do you see mediation relate to exam preparation? Because before we get started, um, I've helped some students, it's not very frequent, but I've helped some students prepare for the official school of languages, the Spanish official school of languages, and they're quite heavy on mediation. Actually, some of the tasks in the speaking paper include mediation tasks, and the uh, candidates have to read some information in, in Spanish, and then they have to do a task in English, like sort of like translating, and we'll, we'll get to translating a little bit later, but um, how do you see retaking my question, how do you see mediation in relation to exam preparation? Yeah, so um, uh, as you said, mediation comes from the CFR and it's sort of a whole category um, of uh, communicative basically, activities. And, um, and so it's not, it's not sort of just one thing, it's not just the type of task where you're talking about where somebody sort of reads something in their first language and talks about it in English, for example. Um, that would be an example of, of text mediation where someone's basically taking information from a text and reformulating it um, for another person uh, for another purpose. And um, in terms of, of exam preparation, um, that doesn't really apply, that type of mediation in particular doesn't apply so much to the B2 first exam, um, but uh, it does for the C2 exam uh, where there's a, a writing task where you have to read um, two texts and summarize the main ideas and incorporate it into a piece of writing. I mean, that would be 
mediation test. Yeah. There, you're not doing it from your first language, but you're doing it from English. But sort of me with mediation, it sort of doesn't matter where the information is coming from. It could be in your first language or your, or your so it's, or, it's or a, second yeah, language that you're using. As I've, I've read, it's an intralingual mediation. So it's the same mediation in the same language. Yes, yes, exactly. So, yeah, and basically text mediation is essentially this. You're sort of reformulating information from a text and it sort of doesn't matter what language the text is, essentially. Um, uh, and, uh, but I think you'll find, so I, I like mediation. I think it's kind of the lens through which I see most communicative language activities because I, when you really kind of concentrate and think about it, um, most communicative language sort of situations include some degree of, of mediation. And um, so I haven't, I've definitely included that in the course. Um, I'll just give you one example. So there's um, in the advanced uh, teacher's book, I wrote a worksheet where uh, students have to write a report, but before they write the report, they have to do sort of classroom, basically research. Like they have to, they have to carry out like a survey, like a classroom survey. And then they sort of collect data from that survey. And then they incorporate that data into their report. Um, so you can see there where it's, where I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm doing exam preparation and mediation at, at yes. once. And I think, I, and I think that's, it's, I think it's an interesting test because it, it sort of makes, uh, the report writing a bit more authentic because actually in real life, if you're writing a report, you probably would be looking at some kind of sort of input, uh, in the form of data or something. Um, and, uh, but, but yeah, you'll find that, yeah, throughout the course I've sort of incorporated mediation and, and sort of, um, different places. Uh, so an, an, another type of mediation is uh, called communication mediation. And this is where you're sort of helping people understand each other, sort of facilitating communication, uh, which might come into play at some point during the speaking exam, um, possibly. Uh, but uh, one thing that I did was I created an activity for the teacher's book for the B2 um, a book where uh, students carry out a, a debate and um, and so maybe two students are debating an issue, or it could be actually two groups of students debating an issue. And then one student's in, in the role of the mediator. Uh, so they're mediating the debate, basically. And they're, they're sort of keeping the time, writing down key ideas. And then, um, and then there's sort of a second stage where that mediator sort of takes over and, and tries to find kind of common ground between the two sides. And um, the way that, the way that that helps you with exam preparation is it because it focuses on interactive communication, uh, which is one of the the sort of the important things that um, uh, oral examiners are listening for on the exam. And so, if you're thinking about sort of actually listening to what people are saying, sort of and, and uh, reacting to them, um, and sort of summarizing their ideas and, and sort of building on them. Um, a nice activity to help develop that um but it's it's very much a mediation task um, yes and uh one last one is a mediating concepts task which is the third type of mediation um and uh in this task <coughs> students actually create their own uh exam task um so they create their own open close which is sort of the second um task in the use of english uh section of the exam and um, basically they're given a text with no gaps. Um, and then uh, they have information about the types of words that are normally gapped in that text and normally tested. Um, and sort of each student has different information and they sort of sort of use that information as part of the problem solving activity. Um, and they sort of produce 
an exam task that other students in the class could could do by basically just blanking out words, deciding which words to to blank yes. and and um, yeah, that that's that's a form of of exam preparation because it helps students uh, understand much better how the what's actually being tested um, and how the exam is, is actually made. And um, it's a mediation task because students are working together to solve a problem and they sort of have to uh, mediate the information from yes. each of their cards and stuff. I've, I, I've I that... So like maybe mediation isn't like directly related to the exam, but, but I think communicative activities that help you do better on the exam um, can often in, include mediation and often do anyway. I've done that <laughs> with part four. Okay. When, for example, in B2, when we cover, let's say, passive voice, I have students, I give them a sentence, then they have to produce the passive voice version. And then I take it a step further. And then I tell them, well, from the second sentence, choose up to five words that you can eliminate. So you make a blank. And from that blank, choose one of the words that would be your keyword. That's and that's it's, a, it's very interesting because depending on the keyword, sometimes they test each other and depending on the keyword they choose, the task can be either easy or difficult. So they notice, for example, how important the keyword is and how they can, because the keyword will tell them, oh, is there something before? Is there something after the key, that word that they're giving me? Um, and they, it's, it's really interesting, for example, when we come to the reflection task after the, doing the activity, I, I asked them, like, why did you choose that keyword? Did you think it was going to be more difficult or easier? And they noticed, they, they realized, for example, that, oh, depending on the keyword, the, exact, the task can be either easy or difficult. I mean, if you give a keyword and you're basically giving away the answer. So I've, I've done that with, with part four more than part three. Nice. Yeah, I've done it with um, speaking as well. I've, I've had students create, um, it's also in the teacher's book. Um, I've had students uh, create um, the, the sort of the, uh, the mind map type of thing for that task, which is relatively easy, you know, you get, I mean, you get students to look at some of the old tasks uh, from the book and stuff um, or from old tests and um, so get them to think about the type of question they usually ask and the type of prompts that they have. And students are perfectly able to create that type of task themselves. Um, and they're usually creating it about a topic they're interested in talking about. Um, and yeah, through that process, I think they get a better understanding of the exam task um, and they get to sort of use an exam task they've created themselves, which is pretty cool. Now, this is this next question is a little aside, but it's related to mediation because I know that you can mediate um, from one language to another. Yes. Like in this case is you can read something in Spanish, as I said before, and then reformulate the same information in English. I know that the cognitive processes that are involved are highly complex in, in a way. Um, do you see mediation as a new iteration of translation uh, a translation approach so yes yes and no so basically in, so I, I don't know if you've studied translation and all but um in the field of translation mediation's always been something people study when they do like a degree in translation 
um, because um, some translation is not word for word. Some translation yes. doesn't and actually it requires the translator to sort of explain things um, and sort of go beyond the original text in order to make it comprehensible, essentially. Um, so mediation has sort of always been part of translation um, as, as a professional field of, of translation. Uh, however, what, what the CFR has done is basically just um, said that, well, actually, that's something people do all the time in their real lives. <laughs> um, you don't have to be a special translator to do this. Um, people are sort of asked to do it all the time. I mean, a sort of a classic example would be, um, you know, like just telling someone what's on a menu at a restaurant. You know, maybe the language is one that they don't understand very well and somebody need, they sort of need some help understanding it. You know, that's something that you could do at a very low level um, in a second language. And uh, yeah, so basically what the CF, so what the basic is what the CFR is doing is, is it's describing that type of language activity that involves um, transition, um, but um, it sort of rough translation or sort of the type of translation that someone could do at A2 or B1 or B2. Um, by the time you get to C2, you are talking about translation that's much closer to a professional version. But even at that level, you're not talking about professional translation because a professional translator would have a much higher than C2 level. Um, as we both know, C2 is not the highest level you can have in a language. It's just sort of the arbitrarily highest language, uh, highest level yes. within the CFR. And um, so, so to answer your question, um, Basically, uh, it's a new iteration of, of translation in the sense that translation is included in the mediation sort of section of the CFR. It's, it's, it comes under the category of mediation. Um, it's a type of mediation. Um, but the CFR is describing uh, sort of not uh, the, a professional translation, but rather sort of an everyday sort of rough uh, okay. translation. Basically. Because when I, back when I did my, my Delta module two, my experimental practice lesson was on translation. Okay. And I thought it was very interesting because my coming from a bilingual background, I mean, speaking both Spanish and English, I mean, both languages have coexisted in my head yes. ever since I was a, a little yes. kid. And my own take on translation has always been, you know, kind of different because things, the, the way I, I conjure things up in my head, sometimes they they don't necessarily relate like correlate like you know like the same things in english and in spanish sometimes i do things in spanish that come from a logic in english or sometimes i uh, do things in english that come from the logic in spanish i don't know yes. if it makes sense yeah that makes um, perfect sense and in fact it's very normal uh, not not just for people of the grown up sort of completely bilingual as you have but uh, anybody who speaks a second language um to any degree of proficiency experiences this type of translanguaging uh, that you're describing. And um, yeah, and th th this, and this sort of conversation about this type of um, moving between languages and, and sort of translanguaging has been happening for a long time. It's nothing new. But uh, basically what the CFR has done is sort of legitimized it as like uh, something that students should be sort of focusing on getting better at. Um, I think as before it was sort of recognized as a way that people use languages um uh, but it wasn't sort of a it wasn't recognized as sort of a, a in the same way as a, a competency that students could uh, improve on and yes. one that you know perhaps should be on exams uh, or should be part of our teaching practice um, so i think that that's one sort of useful uh 
thing that's happened as a result of mediation being included in the CFR. Um, it's it's perhaps not new as a concept, uh, but um, it's being sort of included there has um, mm. has definitely uh, raised people's awareness of it in, in any useful way. I think. Yes. And I also encourage my students to use a lot of cross-linguistic skills, um, especially when they're adults, you know, and they have this, of course, they have this massive knowledge of their own language. Um, I, I try to, you know, rescue a little bit of their own skills in their own language, sometimes to, you know, like use, a, use it as a cross-linguistic strategy sometimes. For example, morphology, like word formation and stuff like that. So sometimes... Uh -huh. They work like side by side, like really well. Other times it doesn't, but uh, my my point is like using, taking advantage of of the knowledge that they already have. You know, the the repertoire that they already have, their lexicon. Uh, you know, absolutely. In order to, you know, deal with the with a new language or sort new of gr grammatical sort of structures. Uh, I don't know where most of your listeners come from, but uh, here in Spain, um. Uh, students study a lot of grammar. They tend to know a lot about their own grammar. And uh, that can be very useful when a grammatical structure is essentially the same, sort of constructed the same way in English. Um, uh, or if it's not, and you can sort of make comparison, because when a grammatical structure is sort of formulated quite differently in English, that can be a source of error. And uh, students, you know, it's, it's, it's useful to make them aware of that kind of difference. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I, I think that It's not that teachers have ignored it, but I think that sort of for sort of particularly for sort of native speaking teachers in parentheses um, who don't sort of share their students' first language, I think it's easy to ignore, uh, sort of um, conveniently ignore it and just say, well, well it's an English only classroom or whatever. Um, but I mean, it's really a shame because as you just said, there's plenty of reasons why you should talk about the student's first language uh, when they're learning a second one in terms of similarities and differences. Um, But also just skills and competencies. I mean, you know, I think it's it's it's, it's always really obvious if someone, uh, if a student has done a lot of reading in their first language, if they're a good reader in their first language, they tend to be, you know, pretty good readers in their second language. And the same with writing, you know, um, if students are good writers in their first language, there's a lot of transferability there, right, um, in terms of, yeah, arguing a point, supporting uh, points with evidence. I mean, All those things are things that students sort of already know or should already know how to do in their first language. Um, you know, perhaps they don't, <laughs> and they need to learn it. But but if they do know it, they can certainly, yeah, they can certainly do that in the second language just as effectively. And one last question, what about proficiency? Um, do you think the market is in need of new preparation course books? Do you think Macmillan, and this is a call to Macmillan, <laughs> I, I know that other coworkers who are with Macmillan have championed for this idea. Do you think we will ever see a ready for proficiency? Yeah, so it's funny you must that because um, a lot of teachers have actually asked me about this because I, I sort of do talks for Macmillan about Ready for uh, you know, kind of trying to sell the course or whatever. And uh, yeah, there's always, there's usually a teacher who has sort of raised their hand and asked about Ready to, <laughs> for C2 proficiency. So, I mean, you have to think that the, the market's probably relatively small for that kind of course. Um, however, uh, 
we were talking about this earlier that uh, the books on the market um, are, are kind of old. Um, yes. And uh, some of them are, are good in some ways and sort of not so good in other ways. Um, but I, yeah, I think there's room in the market for, for a new C2 book. Um, I, I'd love to see uh, a ready for C2 event. I'd love to teach it <laughs> ready for a C2 proficiency. Uh, that would be that'd be great. I, I'd, love, I'd love to see that. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure Mac Miller is aware of this. <laughs> <laughs> Because I, I, I know, you know, the, the, the advanced and, and, and first changed, uh, they were revised in 2015 and, but the, the proficiency was revised two years before. Yes. In 2013. Tw yeah. 2013. Um, and I, I think it's due in a change because a lot of people think it's not fair that in reading and use of English, you have eight tasks in, pro in advanced. But in proficiency, you still have the seven tasks. Mm, yeah, you know the the cross uh, the 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 cross opinion text. You know the the yes. task in which you have to compare opinions of, you know, from different authors. It's called cross text multiple matching. Cross text, yes, multiple uh, choice, yeah, yeah, um, multiple matching. Yes, that's a tough um, task, by the way. It's it's a really tough task. But I think it'd be very very interesting to see it in in the proficiency. So I think secretly, and this is my theory. I think secretly Cambridge is preparing a new revision for the proficiency. I think it's doing a change. And I, I'm telling my students that I think it was because of the pandemic that uh, we haven't seen that change yet. So I'm not, if I'm, um, I'm, I'm making wild predictions, but. Yeah, that's, that's, that's possible. Yeah. Yeah. These exams do, they, I mean, they do, they do get updated from, from time to time. Um, so yeah. It's entirely possible. I, I, I wouldn't know anything about it, but <laughs> Cambridge likes to keep their cards sort of close to the chest. Uh, they're just about that. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I think that, uh, I think another reason why it would be good to have a new proficiency book on the market actually is because um, uh, student levels are going up, uh, as I'm sure you're aware here in Spain. I haven't really taught, I've taught in Italy, uh, but I, I haven't taught in a lot of other places. I assume that's probably happening throughout Europe, at least. Um, yeah, levels are just kind of going up and up. Um, so more and more students are taking the B2 and C1. I mean, I remember when I first started teaching here in Spain, um, like the, the the first certificate, as it was known then, was, you know, like, wow, you know, like that was the... <laughs> Like sort, sort of like the holy grail but, uh, but that i mean that's that was that's been replaced by the c1 i mean i think most students really want to get to c1 um and you have to think that if enough students are getting to c1 that you know those students that really want to kind of differentiate themselves um yes. in terms of eventually their professional they will. Yeah, you know aspirations and stuff would would probably aim for c2 yes um and i don't know about you but i have more and more students that are just find proficiency easy <laughs> <laughs> in a surprising way like I've, when i first yes, started I've, teaching proficiency i had a lot of groups where no nobody basically took and passed the exam at the end of the course but yes. more and more i have to like the last proficiency course i taught at ih last year um almost all the students went out and took the exam and passed you know i mean i, I like to think that's something to do with my teaching but but the students basically came into the course with like a very good level of english you know they like was very close to c2 already and um yeah, I mean, I had one student last year who who took uh, the exam and and she got every single question right in the reading part. You know, like she didn't miss <laughs> one. Like it was just easy for her. You know, and I think yes. that you know, if if students are getting a lot more English in school and and they're sort of exposed to more English through TV and stuff, 
I mean, you have to think that more and more students are going to be reaching that kind of level of English and, and are you going to be able to, to take this kind of exam and pass it? Yes. Any final thoughts, uh, Ethan, that you would like to share with my listenership? Um, well, I just want to say thanks for inviting me on. It's nice to I'll see you again. And um, yeah, I just want to say, I think it's a really nice project you have going. I think it's, uh, it seems like it would be very helpful. I think it's kind of filling a gap for a lot of students. You know, it's um, obviously, especially with bigger groups of students, it's it's hard to give sort of detailed feedback on on their speaking in particular, because speaking is so kind of fleeting, you know, um, unless it's recorded, um, it's it's hard to sort of really concentrate on and, and get give students big, you know, really good quality feedback on it. So. I know. I think you're doing a very interesting thing with this podcast. So, and uh, yeah, best of luck, I guess. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. And I, I always tell my students to record themselves. I know nobody likes to hear their own voice, Ooh, myself included. <laughs> <laughs> But I think I think it's in, it's incredible because they the people I've had on the show, they've I've I've gotten some feedback like months later after after they record i mean they they took part in in one of the episodes they listen to it again and then they they can they make sense of of all the things that i tell them yeah. because it it doesn't necessarily translates into their heads you know when i give them feedback on in certain aspects they get it they understand it but it's not the same when they listen to it again like sometime later they completely understand it and they they see how they have overcome that aspect and and it's it's great feedback i mean i i like it when whenever i hear my students come back yeah and i think uh, like you said when you're listening to yourself yeah you start to become aware of things start to hear things um that you actually start to hear when you're speaking later on you know like oh i just did that thing <laughs> that uh frank told me about you know so i think that um yeah no it seems very helpful and interesting so ethan thank you immensely <laughs> Thank you very much for taking part and opening my third season. Yeah, good luck with this third season. And that was the fantastic conversation that I had with Ethan. Thank you, Ethan. Thanks again. I can never thank you enough for taking part and for opening the third season of my podcast. What I had planned for this third season was to extend a little bit the topics of conversations, not only to offer feedback on speaking skills, but also to talk about other aspects of exam preparation, because I know that there's a lot of market. There's a lot of people out there looking for exam preparation. I also want to apologize for the quality of the recording because we recorded the conversation last Wednesday. October 12th, and it was a national holiday here in Spain. There was a military parade and there were a lot of planes, jet planes and helicopters flying around. So you might as well have heard some sound interruptions. So I apologize for that. But in any case, I think it was a wonderful conversation. Ethan, once again, thank you very much. And to all my listeners, thank you for sticking with what you say in English. Remember that I'm always open. I love getting your recordings and to give you feedback on your speaking skills. So thank you very much. And until next week, bye-bye.